Imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women. Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lead Hership Global Program, where I have the honor of speaking with CJ Grace. She's a former BBC journalist, public speaker, and a two-time best-selling author. Today, I'm going to be speaking with CJ about how to use adversity as a catalyst for personal growth. You know, adversity is something that we're all guaranteed to encounter periodically. There's simply no getting around that. We're all prone to encountering various challenges, stresses, frustrations, and we shouldn't pretend that this isn't the case because what's most important is how we react when we encounter these situations. In the face of hardship, some people actually manage to find deeper meaning and purpose. And since ancient times, literature, religion, and philosophy have all shown how adversity can help us grow and lead deeper and more meaningful lives. Struggling through times of trial and adversity can actually push us to grow in ways that ultimately make us wiser and our lives more fulfilling. There are four pillars of meaning, according to most scholars, belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. And they can help you recover from adversity and trauma. Listen in today as we speak with CJ Grace, about how to turn your adversity into a catalyst for breakthrough personal growth. But before we get started, let me tell you just a little bit about CJ. CJ is a former BBC journalist and public speaker, and she dealt with discovering her husband's adultery and then getting breast cancer twice by refusing the victim role and keeping her sense of humor. Now, CJ's new book, my Wild Ride, How to Thrive After Breast Cancer and Infidelity is a candid and yet comic memoir and a very uplifting, encouraging survival guide. Her first book was Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not. And after receiving a copy of her first book, Ariana Huffington invited CJ to be a Huffington Post contributor. She is a BBC broadcaster and a voiceover artist in the UK, and CJ later worked with China Radio International in Beijing, China as well. She's now divorced and US-based, and her mission is to help people use adversity for positive change. CJ, thank you so much for joining us today. We are thrilled to have you with us. Well, I'm thrilled to be here on your show. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I will tell you, CJ, I am, uh, of course, I've, I've read your books and I am aware of your story, but tell us a little bit about your journey. What's led you to have such passion around helping business owners move through times of adversity to really be able to transcend that trauma into a period of triumph and personal growth? 
Well, I lived it. I lived dealing with my husband's infidelity. You know, um, for example, our 25th wedding anniversary was the best one ever. But then, little did I know, two years later, both my marriage and my health would be in tatters because he was carrying on an affair with a woman half his age whom he refused to give up. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. And I carry that dreaded BRCA gene that Angelina Jolie had thought could be a death sentence. So I had to get through it somehow. And the route that I took, I think could work for anyone dealing with any kind of adversity. And it is possible to, to get out the other side and be happier and better and stronger than you were before. I love that, CJ. And you were such an incredibly inspiring example of exactly that. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, CJ, a lot of experts point to four different pillars of meaning, belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence to help you recover from adversity and trauma. In fact, research shows that those who write about their lives make better sense of their stories, report better outcomes, display fewer symptoms of anxiety, depression, and they enjoy, in fact, more powerful immune systems too. Do you think that by writing about your experience, your emotions, your thoughts has actually been helpful to you in moving past this incredibly traumatic experience that you went through? Absolutely. It's very cathartic to do that. And it also helps you understand exactly how you're feeling. Um, I'm glad that when I read um, my first book, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not, I look at what I went through then and I'm quite grateful that I no longer feel a lot of those things that I felt when I was writing that book. Because the mantra of that book was that the best revenge is to get past the need for it. And that was what I was aiming to do. I love that. The best revenge is moving beyond the need for revenge. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. Now, I have to ask you though, writing this incredibly harrowing experience that you went through, being diagnosed with breast cancer twice, and also dealing with your husband's infidelity. Although I will tell you, both books are humorous and clever and witty and insightful. It also must have been certainly cathartic, but also difficult. So tell us what that experience was like writing both of those books. I think the second book actually was the one that was more of a memoir. And in some ways, it's almost like taking your clothes off in public. Uh, you know, um, some of the stuff in there when I wrote it, I thought, do I really want this to go out there? But some of it was it was so useful to other people and also some of it was so funny you know because I was brought up on a diet of Monty Python I'm a real Monty Python aficionado so I would see the absurd humor in some of the things I went through um, but I had to be pretty raw searingly honest really about what was going on and if I hadn't done that it wouldn't have been an authentic book it would have not been a story about me. So, so I had to write it the way I wrote it. But I have to say, you're absolutely right. I did have some reservations about whether I really wanted all of that stuff to come out in public. But now it is. It's there for good or ill. <laughs> I love that, CJ. And 
me being one of your many fans, I am grateful that you were so authentic. You were so transparent. You were so honest and so open with everything that you went through in both books, I feel. But tell me a little bit about not just the experience of writing it, but the way that has impacted people around you, people that have gone through similar experiences or similar levels of adversity and trauma and, and what that book has meant to them. Well, I have to say that um, some of the people who heard about my six-part plan that I have in there, I have this six-part plan, which I can go into more detail if you would like, um, but just in a nutshell, number one, finding confidants and mentors with your best interests at heart so that you can vent your deepest, darkest feelings, and these people will be confidential, keeping things confidential, and give you good advice. Not the same as friends. It's a little bit different. Um, they can be friends, but... Uh, then not not all your friends will be good confidants. But the second thing was um, to rebuild my circle of friends because when I was married, most of my friends were friends of my husband's or connected to our business. These are not people who you can, if you want to stay professional, vent your feelings about your marriage or how, how awful you feel about having cancer. No, you have to build your own circle of friends. Um, and I was rebuilding them old and new, making new friends, and um, reconnecting with old friends. Third thing, very important for me, laughter therapy, you know, brings you up. If you listen to the story of Norman Cousins who got over excruciatingly painful ankylosing spondylitis by just using laughter therapy, watching movies that made him laugh, you know, laughter is incredibly helpful. Um, and I made a point of not getting drawn into bad news. I didn't, even though I was a journalist, I stopped watching the news. It's all bad news. I wanted things that made me feel uplifted. Fourth thing was to love my body and become beautiful. Now, I don't mean I became a supermodel. That will never happen, sadly. Well, I don't care. But I never be a supermodel. But I mean internal beauty, looking after my diet, exercising and outdoor exercise I think is one of the best things for banishing the blues very effective antidepressant and then the final thing sleeping you know in that little thing about looking after your body exercise sleeping diet very very good and to, to do that and when you're feeling down you tend to neglect those things and that was not what I wanted to do um, and the fifth thing was to find my passion and finding your passion is something that makes your heart sing and something that makes you want to get up in the morning. For me, it was writing. For somebody else, it could be volunteering, music, art, whatever it is, you need to find it. And it doesn't have to be your day job because you can't necessarily make your living on it. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, but you have to devote some part of your life to things that make your heart sing. And then the, the final thing, which was actually the hardest, was living in the present. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow is fiction until it happens. Now is all you have. So I used those tools to get through both the infidelity because you're on this emotional roller coaster and you have to get off it somehow and to deal with the stress and strain of going through cancer for the second time. Oh, I love that, CJ. Those are such incredibly powerful pillars that really do help anyone, no matter what their level of adversity or trauma is that they're coping with or dealing with or moving through, really does help them get grounded and find a sense of hopefulness and have a sense of optimism that things can get better. And one of the things you talked about in the Six Pillars is this sense of belonging, cultivating a sense of belonging. 
feeling as though you're part of a larger purpose. And I think that is so vital to finding meaning. In fact, there was a recent survey of 28 janitors at a large Midwestern hospital, and they found that when these janitors felt as though the doctors or nurses acknowledged them rather than devaluing them, they began to see their work as being incredibly meaningful and impactful and really fulfilling. In fact, many started to see themselves as caregivers by being a janitor, by ensuring that their area was sanitary and clean and that type of thing. They began to see themselves as caregivers simply by being acknowledged, simply by being listened to and being in community and having a sense of belonging with others in the hospital. So tell us a little bit about where you found that sense of belonging as you went through this journey, because certainly finding out that your husband has been unfaithful and realizing that, you know, you are going to separate from a whole group of friends that you may have gone through life with can be jarring, can be very isolating, can be very lonely sort of process. So how did you create that sense of belonging, that sense of community? I think a lot of it is understanding the meaning of purpose, because a lot of people confuse success with purpose. Success is usually serving yourself. You know, I've made my first million. Oh, but it doesn't feel as good as I thought it would. Oh, I better make my second million. Whereas purpose is more about it, it helps you, but it also helps others. And it is something that can be as simple as, as what, you, what you said, that wonderful story about the janitors, uh, or even going to your local park and picking up trash every day so that everybody has a cleaner environment. You can feel that that is your purpose and that makes you feel good in yourself and makes you want to get up every morning. So it can be as simple as something like that, but it's very, very important to have a purpose because that's what gives you meaning. And also, as you said, the, the belonging, the feeling part of a community and a part of a community of people that you love. And it doesn't have to be romantic love. You can have real love for friends. And that's something that I have found so much um, now in, in at this time of my life that I feel like um, my friends community is something that is 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 a pillar for me. Absolutely, it is a pillar, having a community that you feel that you belong to, that you just have love and affection for all of these people. Um, you know, whether they're flawed or not, you love them because everybody has a place and everybody is part of your circle. So that's the thing. Yes, belonging is absolutely key, absolutely key. I love that. And you're talking about the importance of purpose and meaning. And, you know, there is a mindset that is very much focused on adopting meaning into your life. In fact, there was another study that uh, looked at high school students who believed that their studies would allow them to fulfill a life's purpose, to have deep meaning in their life. And we found that those high school students actually earned much better grades in even the most difficult math and science courses versus others that really never connected their studies with a life of purpose and meaning. So if you're able to create meaning and purpose in your daily activities, in the way that you envision your life and the kind of work that you're even doing, it can help you transcend any kind of adversity that you're going through. I think there is incredible power in the mindset 
of creating meaning in your life to help build resilience. So how did you adopt that kind of meaning mindset as you move forward through this incredibly difficult time of the diagnosis of breast cancer, not once, but twice? Well, one of the things that that I had to do at that time was be my own advocate, because since I didn't have um, a husband that was there with me and, and helping me through all the decisions, it fell to me to do that. So so I I put a lot of effort into researching my treatment options, which really helped my book because I did a lot of research for myself and for the book that I ended up writing. It has a massive bibliography. I referenced more than 100 studies and almost 70 books. And I mean, I, I went real sort of BBC anal journalist to, to put all that together. But but it, it's important. And one of my mantras for getting through the breast cancer was information is power. If you are informed, you can make good decisions. Most bad decisions are based on ignorance. And so um, it's a, it's very important to take the time, whatever you're going through, whatever decisions you have to make, and especially any health decisions, to be fully informed, because then you're going to make better choices. I love that. So through that, tell us about places where you were able to laugh at yourself, laugh at the situation, experience awe, where you were able to see the absurdity of what you're going through or the comedy of what you're going through, or the awe of the experience itself? Yeah, I mean, there were so many different examples. I mean, I remember um, I'm I'm a cat person rather than a dog person, and they had these, these dogs that would visit us when we were in the chemo clinics having treatment. And I'd be sort of grumpy, and there'd be this dog, I would try and get stuff out of my bag, and then the dog would be nosing around in my bag, and I'd, and I'd be all grumpy and want to push it away, and all. And everybody else would be brightening and happy that the dog was there. And then I had to look at myself and laugh at my behavior about that, you know. Um, so, so, so I wrote about that because um, for some people, pets are wonderful because they're unconditional friends. And um, and pets also, particularly dogs, have been trained to to sniff out cancers in people. So they've used those for, for they use dogs for cancer detection, if you can believe it. So I mean, all kinds of things like that happened. And I I do find that in my life in general, crazy, absurd, humorous things happen, and they are catalysts for usually something good to happen. Um, you know, absurd things happen and you think, oh, my God, that's really a pain or that's so stupid or whatever. And then down the ro road, you look at how that turned out and it actually turns out in a very positive way. So so I've learned that um, look for um, look for the silver lining in absurd, difficult situations because there are silver linings. It sounds like a terrible cliche, but it's true. It's really true. And the other thing that I know from your story and, and, you know, being lucky enough to be in relationship with you is that you absolutely hold no animosity towards your husband. In fact, uh, you have completely forgiven him. And I think that is another really important sort of secret ingredient, if you will, to being able to transcend any kind of trauma or adversity and really allow it to be a catalyst for personal growth is to let go of anger, resentment, unforgiveness, and to be able to uh, really move beyond 
that sense of vengeance and resentment that oftentimes people hold on to. So tell us how you were able to move to a place of forgiveness with your husband and really let go of all the negative emotion associated with that uh, infidelity. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that it happened right away. I mean, when you first hear about these things, you feel pretty, pretty pissed, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, so so if I if I said that, oh, yes, I was fine right away, then I'd be lying to you. <laughs> um, I was, you know, I had to work through it. And I had to realize that forgiving him wasn't a sign of weakness. And it doesn't mean that you're letting somebody treat you like a doormat. It means that you're no longer allowing them to have a hold on you, because until you forgive somebody, they will always have an emotional hold on you. And you have to see the background to why people behave in the way that they behave. You know, I I can't deny that we had good times together. We had a long marriage. We have two wonderful grown sons. I do not regret the marriage. I don't regret it at all because, you know, regret is not about the past. It's about the present. And I am very happy with my life as it is right now. So I don't have regrets. And I think that's the that's the thing. It's obviously a work in progress to get through these things. But if you don't, you're never free of it. So letting go is, is absolutely crucial. It really is crucial in so many ways. Um, and it, 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 the, the, it's a practice of not being reactive. It's a practice of having a reaction, thinking of it and then reacting because you make very poor decisions if you work on a reactive basis. Yeah, so smart. That's absolutely right on. I so appreciate that incredible insight. Thank you, CJ. Well, to wrap up, I have one last question for you. Honestly, I feel like we could dive deep into your book for hours because there's so many hilarious stories. There's so much insight and wisdom. There's so much incredibly poignant um, experiences that you outline in such detail that I feel like we could spend the next two or three hours really diving deep into it. It would be fabulous. But knowing that we only have a little bit of time together, I want to ask you, what is the best leadership advice that you have ever received that's really made an impact for you that you'd like to share with our audience? I think um, aside from humor, because humor will always lighten the mood, it will always get people in a in a in better spirit, so they'll be more eager to hear what you have to say. Humor is really important. Um, it shows you don't take yourself too seriously, and it allows other people not to take themselves so seriously. That's the first thing. But the other thing that I think is so important these days is having a nuanced view. In this polarized world we live in, it's very easy to get locked into one side or the other and refuse to see any good in the opposing side. And I think that that's a shame. I think nuance is very, very important in order to have an empathetic position on life. You have to have empathy. And if you don't have nuance and if you're too stuck in your own views, it's very hard to be empathetic. I love that, CJ. What a beautiful way of wrapping up our conversation. I am so grateful for the time that you have spent on the Lead Hership Global Program and providing such incredible insight in the uplifting and the incredibly encouraging way that you do. So thank you so much. 
Uh, as I noted, for all of you tuning in, this is CJ Grace, who dealt with discovering not only her husband's adultery, but then getting breast cancer twice, but refusing to be the victim and keeping her sense of humor through the whole experience. Thank you so much, CJ, for being a part of today's program. I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining Leadership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Leadership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success. Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up, and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.